0: Welcome to the Podglomerate. But what really is affecting him at this point was there's a law that Bill Clinton signed in 1996 um, that oftentimes gets referred to as the bars or the five-year bar, the 10-year bar for unlawful presence. Um, But there's also a lifetime permanent bar for a false claim of U.S. citizenship, which I've heard other immigration lawyers refer to as... The black kiss of death, because if you are found to have um, lied or, you know, claimed false, false claim of U.S. citizenship, uh, it bars you permanently forever um, from any type of immigrant visa to the U.S. Um, There's no waiver for it. There's nothing you can do to get around
1: it. This is Status, the show about how immigration impacts people. The show's got its gaps. I know that. This episode fills at least one of those gaps. But at risk of spoiling things, I'm not going to get into which one. This episode came about because I got an email to the status email address. Tyler was in the middle of packing his bags for a trip to finalize a step in his immigration process when he discovered the show. He said he had to stop packing and email me right away so that he wouldn't put it off. When I got his email, I made sure I scheduled our interview immediately so I wouldn't put it off. Tyler lives in Milwaukee. He's a SEVIS coordinator at the University of Wisconsin. And because he'll do a better job than I can, I'll let him tell you what that means.
0: So I work for the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. I've been there for uh, three years now. Uh, I primarily worked with domestic students through admissions, but in February, I switched over to international um, admissions, essentially. Uh, It's been a long-term goal of mine for really about eight years since I graduated from um, undergrad. And so I now work as the SEVIS coordinator, which is the entire federal database that tracks um, all F1 students uh, that are looking to come to the United States to study some type of academic program. So um, that's my current job right now, uh, which has been really interesting to kind of get involved with that. Obviously, I've had my own kind of immigration story going on for the past few years
1: now. Just from our few hours of interaction, I can tell you that Tyler is an extremely sociable person. He seems like the kind of guy who makes great friends very easily. The kind of guy you want to be friends with. But what I can also tell you is that Tyler's a bit of an immigration nerd. And as someone who's been known to rant about I-485s while out with friends on the weekend, take it from me. I don't see it as a bad thing that Tyler is super passionate about both the process and the people.
0: I mean, there there is a litany of different things that cause or that need to be changed in CVis, And so when you have over 1,500 people that are changing majors all the time, that are updating their phone numbers, updating email addresses, updating addresses, um, it it truly is a full-time job just to Continuously update the federal government's database. It's our responsibility to ensure that students' immigration records are accurate. And that was actually, I think, part of the reason why I ended up getting the job is that I've been working at UWM for two years already. I developed um, a strong reputation at the university, um, but I was also able to talk about my own immigration story uh, with Eddie and the stuff that we've gone through, and that I understand this, you know, this isn't just a clerical job. isn't just administrative, that this truly is affecting people's lives and everything that goes along with it. And so I think I really, fortunately, unfortunately, got emotional during the interview just talking about it. But I think it also helped kind of indicate my understanding that it it is critical that we maintain everybody's SEVIS record accurately, because the consequences of not having it accurate 100% 100% 100% of the time um it really is life-changing for for students um and potentially in very negative ways so um it it's it's stressful and important work that we sometimes are responsible for doing but I really enjoy it
1: to help you understand Tyler's passion let's meet Eddie the first thing you should know is that Eddie grew up in a small town in Mexico i was 14 and being gay in a little town where I'm from,
2: it was not easy because I was, you know, like uh, I was in the closet. You know, I was not out and you cannot be out there because uh bullying to be in, you know, in school. Um, it was a little scary. I, th- I was a little scared. And then I was attached to my mom a lot. And then my mom, um, she had cancer in Mexico. And then that's why... Like my family, my brother helped my mom to come to United States because in Mexico, um, they tell her that uh, they couldn't do nothing for her cancer because she was already like level, I think level three or level four, something like that. So my brother find a way to kind of help my mom to come to United States, to Milwaukee, and then um, they take care of her here and my mom's still alive now. Um, I think that was kind of the reasons that I might say, you know, like, yes, I'm coming to see my mom. So uh, my family pays, you know, what are they called? I don't know. You heard before the coyotes, coyotes. So uh, my family pays these coyotes. So they find a way how to, you know, bring people to the United States. So they, I didn't know. I remember like barely little, I was 14, you know, like half of my life, you know, I've been here so I kind of remember things like a dream kind of, but I don't remember exactly everything. So uh, it was very quick, everything like I remember they, you know, they talked to me nice kind of like tell me like, hey, you want to come see, you know, like "Uh, you want to come see mom? I remember my brother was telling me and then, um, you know, I was 14 and I was like, yeah, yeah, I want to go. And then everything was like I supposed to be come for a few days just to come see my mom. I don't remember that much from the airport. So um, I remember that they paid someone on the plane. Um, it was uh, one of the girls that work on the plane to take care of me. I think, like, when you're underage, they can check you. They put you on the back of the plane, something like that, and um, they overlook of you. So um, uh, they kind of fill it up, all the things that they handled to me, because I didn't speak any English at all. I think maybe, like, hello... I probably like my name is Eduardo, but not that much. Um, I kind of remember like a dream that I was like really little and I look up and they tell me to handle all the documents to the officer. So I don't know, it was an officer or just like a checkpoint or something. So that's where um, I handle the documents. And then uh, my family was waiting for me outside.
1: So they just walked me out. This wasn't just a trip to see his mother. Eddie would end up learning English, finding work, and staying in the U.S. even longer than his mother did. But that moment at customs, the one he says felt like a dream, that moment would turn out to be pivotal for him.
0: Well, quick summary. So I I went to college at UW-Eau Claire for four years. Uh, After graduating there, I went out to the University of Arizona, where I did my master's program. Um, In Arizona, I ended up meeting somebody, um, and I dated him throughout the entire master's program. Um, After we graduated from the master's program, we ended up moving to Washington, D.C. together, um, where we both ended up working for the same employer. In college, I majored in Spanish and international business. Like, you know, the 18, 19, 20-year-old that I was, Um, I studied abroad twice, Uh, The first time I went to Costa Rica and Nicaragua, the second time I went to Mexico. So I've just had this, I've always had this like interest and passion for Latin America um, and the people that live there and the culture. But with this, you know, I think I ended up going from Northern Wisconsin for college. I moved to Southern Arizona because I was switching career paths from the Spanish business path to education. And I was like, okay, well, I've spent eight years trying to become fluent in Spanish I'm not going to lose this. So I, I picked like, it was either Arizona California area, but I was like, I want to go somewhere where I have the chance of maybe using Spanish. I got to grad school. Um, I met somebody and we started dating instantly in grad school and things were, were good that it was a good relationship. It, you know, I, I really loved him. He really loved me. He treated me like a prince. Um, and things were great, but grad school was hell and very stressful. Um, And I don't know if I would go back and repeat it, that for a variety of different reasons, but we spent two years together. And then from that point, we ended up moving to DC together. And, you know, I've just, in my mind, I'd always had this rule that I was like, I don't think you can get to know somebody truly in in a very short amount of time. And so I think I just kind of arbitrarily made this rule of four years. Um, I mean, if I go back, Really early to my childhood, I had two cousins that they waited four years and at the age of like six or eight, somewhere in there, four years seemed like infinity. And, you know, all of my family was shocked that it took that long for them to get married anyway. So that was like arbitrarily the number that I chose that, oh, yeah, I'm going to also wait four years. It it just seems like a rule that worked because nobody up to that point, um, as much as I thought that I loved them and I did and they loved me it obviously it didn't work out for xyz reasons and for me to come back home it it was kind of a a kick to the head that it was you know i had left a great city that i was loving in washington dc um, i'm now living in my parents basement unemployed temporarily working at my at, at a furniture store where my dad is a manager um, not making very much money you know like there was it was kind of a difficult time in general and it just didn't seem right that I just exited a three-year relationship. Like I need to be single. I need to take time for myself and figure out what it is that I want from life. What I want for myself, what I want from a partner. Like I was just in this very much like, okay, I need to hit the reset button in my life. And it was at that point that I'd only been back here in Milwaukee for one or two weeks. Um, when I ended up meeting Eddie And at that point, if you ask him, I, I didn't really blow him off, but I knew that he would have been trouble for me. And so I kind of just told him and said, all right, you know, you're a really nice guy. I really like you or, you know, great things, but we're just going to be friends because I'm only here for a week or two. I'm in the middle of a job search. I would applied to jobs across the country. I applied to a job in Slovakia. Uh, Why? I don't know, but I was looking to go anywhere except for Milwaukee and Wisconsin and when I met Eddie one week into that reset (laughs) or two weeks into it, you know, it was just kind of a, okay, think logically and not with any other part of your body that you really need to focus on getting the job. That is your dream job going where you want to go. Like you can't keep just bouncing around and, and kind of not going through life with this clear path. But along with that, if you, if I'm being fully honest, I was like, okay, I'm going to move to Arizona. I'm going to meet some great, cute guy tall who's from Mexico, owns his own business. We could go make trips to Mexico all the time uh, and have this wonderful life together. And I got there, and that's not at all what happened, quite the opposite. And so then three years later to then come back to the city that I was trying to get so far away from. And I met the literally the checklist of what I was looking for in a partner was in kind of my hometown area the whole time um yeah that that's that's what was trouble for me was that you're exactly what i'm looking for but i don't want to be here right now actually uh ended up pretty well like i was dating a lot of guys and
2: i don't know uh but always it was issue it was something that i didn't like about it and um even my girlfriends, they were like, "Oh my god, look at this guy! He's so handsome." I was like, "Yeah," but always it was something. And then when I met Tyler, it was some connection. It was different than the other guys that I was, I was, you know, dating. When he told me that he was only here for a few, you know, a few weeks, uh, I was like, oh, "I, I, I need to show him that I really like him, actually." And then uh, he called me like in like in two weeks, like the second week, he called me and saying that he the one that I take serious, that he was planning to move, that he didn't want anything, you know, like serious with me. And, you know, what what do you want me to say? I just say like, okay, you know, yeah, we can be friends. And actually, uh, he didn't have really friends here in Milwaukee. And I was like, yeah, we can, you know, keep being friends. And. Uh, we have a concert to go, actually, uh, that was like during the week. And so I invite him to go uh, with my friends. But I actually, you know, I invite him as a friend. We went to a con- the concert and then he got a little jealous that I was talking with another guy that he was there at the concert. So, But I didn't notice. I thought he was like having fun and talking with another guy, you know? Uh, with my girlfriends and I was talking with another guy and the other guy was kind of into me kind of. And then my, one of my best girlfriends tell me like, Hey, you know, um, Tyler, it's a little upset. I was like, why? He's like, he's a little jealous that you're talking with the other guy. I was like, yeah, but he is the
0: one telling me that he don't want anything with me. So why is upset?" He was a phenomenal communicator. Again, that night that he talks about where I got kind of jealous and upset. I did. And I was mad at myself that I was getting jealous because he's absolutely right. I told him, I was like, I don't want anything serious. Nothing's happening here. But at the same time, it was also the first night that I, again, I live 45 minutes away. So he's like, oh yeah, you can stay at my place for the night. So all my stuff is at his place. And now here he is flirting with some other guy. I'm like, all right, I don't know what you're planning on doing, but I got to get my shit from your house. Like, <laughs> so I was like, irritated about that. I did like him. I didn't want to, but I did. And so that was kind of a, a difficult moment. But from that, after his friend told him that I was upset, you know, he came up to me and he talked to me directly about it, about his feelings and you know, called me out for it. I'm like, yeah, you're completely right. Like I said, I don't want anything. Um, but we were able to literally move past that and com- like just the best communicator I'd ever been in a relationship with. And that in itself, like, is what
1: really convinced me, like, okay, like, I should maybe just date this guy. Eddie and Tyler started to spend a lot of time together. And they began to discover the things that they loved about each other. we both, for me, the, he's bilingual. Like, he speaks
2: Spanish and English. And he likes to do things that I like to do. Like, we both like to travel. Me and him, we can have a great time together. And even... If we go out, like, um, it's, it is different than other guys that I, you know, that I, they, um, in the past. So we have really good connection. I feel like I, I can do some things that he can do and he can do some things that I can, that I can do, like, you know, like writing sometimes he owe me help me to do writings and, um, And he don't like cleaning, kind of, and I
0: love cleaning. So uh, we have a really good combination, I think. We were spending at least half of our week with each other. um, And that we found that we really enjoyed doing a lot of the same things. um, But even to a point where we didn't know we'd liked doing them. Um, Like one big example that comes to my mind is... um, Eddie didn't listen to any Spanish music at all before he met me because when he moved to, you know, he tried listening to all English music that he was trying to learn the language. And same thing with me that after trying to become fluent in Spanish, that's all I listened to is Spanish music. And so it was just this really cool thing that I was able to share that with him. Like, how do you not know about Maluma? How do you not know about, you know, obviously everybody knows about daddy Yankee and, you know, different artists like this, but I was like, this is all I listened to. And then from that, he ended up finding that he loved that music as well.
1: There was a particular moment that helped Tyler understand how he felt about Eddie. It was when Eddie shared with him that he was undocumented.
0: Eddie not only like demonstrated that he could communicate well, but he went out and proved it, you know, just, I think him also sharing his immigration status with me, like I knew how significant that was that it, literally is like as a gay man coming out of the closet and, you know, him telling me that even some of his closest friends didn't know that. And here he is telling me after three, you know, it's just, there was just so many different things that clearly we had this very clear and strong connection. And after like six or seven months, that's when you like officially asked me to be your boyfriend and I, I did not give a good reaction. Yep, again, <laughs> he just stayed quiet, and he said, "Ah, uh. I panicked." And uh, again, you know, it was, it was one of the. It wasn't that I didn't want it, but I had just gotten out of a three-year relationship, and you know, I was living back home in my parents' basement. It, it was just kind of a lot of things were coming
1: at me very quickly, and I wasn't sure how to take it. But. Clearly, Tyler said yes. He still didn't want to stay in Milwaukee long-term. But what that meant was starting to change.
0: And again, he he was just the total package. So that's why, you know, it kind of kept snowballing from, no, we're just going to be friends to, okay, well, we can date for a little bit, but I'm still leaving, to, all right, we're dating. I don't want to lose you, so maybe I'll look for jobs around this area. Um, and that's when finally I ended up getting two job offers, one at University of Iowa, um, actually working with a good friend of mine and kind of the dream job of what I was looking for at that point or a job in Milwaukee, which I was also very excited about, but I knew my family knew that Milwaukee was not the place I wanted to be because I grew up here. And, uh, but at that point I was like, you know what, like Eddie had his own business at that point, there was no way that he was going to be able to pick up and move to Iowa. And so I said, well, if I'm going to give up my dream job to stay in Milwaukee, to be with you then we better freaking get married because this is going to last forever. Jobs, I can get other jobs. Like I've never met anybody in my life like Eddie. And if I'm going to give up this job, like clearly that means that Eddie is something special. And whether or not it's perfect, it doesn't matter. We have the communication skills together to be able to work through whatever issues we have. You know, he he came out and told me about his DACA situation, um, I think after like three months or so. Um, I think that really helped pull us together. You know, it's just we had this really open and honest relationship that I really appreciated too. So we get
1: married May twenty third, two thousand fifteen. That is about a month before it was legal across the entire U.S. Absolutely, yes. It was,
0: it was like one month and. Three date because it was June 26, 2015, I think, is when the Supreme Court decision came through. Um, yeah. And, and I knew that that decision was pending with the Supreme Court, um, which was more reason why I was like, we need to get married now because if that decision comes back negatively, maybe, you know, like it's better to be married now and like to have been initially married for some period of time because um, maybe that will somehow factor into immigration positively versus never having been married at all. You know, so I was like, we need to do this now.
1: Eddie and Tyler married just south of where they live in Illinois. Not in Wisconsin. Not because of gay marriage, though. Instead, it was because Wisconsin wanted Eddie to provide a valid social security number to issue a marriage license. But they could easily get a marriage license in Illinois that was just as valid. Now, if you've listened to Status before, you'll know that getting married doesn't magically solve all your immigration woes. It simply gives anyone who has married a U.S. citizen the opportunity to apply for permanent residency. Considering Eddie was undocumented, though, his case was slightly more complicated. So after they were married, the first thing that Tyler and Eddie did was hire a lawyer. They were really happy with her, but Eddie's case was not straightforward. He needed to leave and re-enter the country via advance parole, which he was eligible for through DACA. From there, he could apply for an adjustment of status to permanent resident. That's the thing that would get him a green card due to his marriage to Tyler. But still, there was that bit about his interaction with customs in 2002. Eddie came to the United States by himself at the age of
0: 14 or 15. And instead of hopping over a fence, digging a tunnel, running across the river, thing you know, those stereotypical things... Uh, He flew into the country. He was 14, 15, flew into O'Hare, didn't speak any English, was by himself. You know, his family had paid extra money for him to be an unaccompanied minor. Uh, The stewardess or, you know, flight attendant, she actually filled out all of his immigration documents for him. Um, When he got to whoever the immigration officer was, he kind of just handed it over. Um, And this is in the year 2002, right after 9-11. And so at this point there's little to no record of him entering the country. And so really what Eddie's case kind of came down to is that at the age of 14 or 15, he flew into the country. He talked to a federal immigration, you know, CBP. And so the question was, well, what did you tell them? Did you claim to be a US citizen? Did you enter in on some sort of fake student document? Because at that point, you know, the, the visa system was not in place. Uh, did you have a tourist visa? What did you do? And so it really was on Eddie to prove, at this point in 2016, July 2016, at our interview, that he did not claim
1: to be a U.S. citizen in the year 2002. Given all of this, Tyler and Eddie wanted to get the opinion of someone with a lot of experience. And their lawyer referred them to her mentor. Someone Tyler claims people refer to as the best immigration lawyer in Wisconsin. This lawyer thought the potential false claim of citizenship was more of a big deal than the lawyer they'd hired was making it out to be. But he still thought that they should go through with their application. Part of so again that the lawyer that was quote claimed to be the
0: best in Wisconsin, when we paid the $200 to have a consultation with him, he, he also was like, yeah, it's a great area, but you know I would I would encourage you know recommend that you guys proceed with this. but if you get either of the two female <laughs> adjudicators, I, if I were your lawyer, I would tell you to cancel your application and do not go through with the interview. That don't let them make a decision because, and he provided, I still have this day the names of those two. So apparently there's only two female adjudicators at that time in that office. Um, and he just said that not that they're mean, but they're much more thorough and they may try to look for a reason to deny you. Early 20. 20- 16 that our immigration lawyer helped us submit the i-485 application to adjust status so to move from per- being paroled to a permanent residence um and that essentially was like everything went well with that to the point where they then sent us uh interview request for mid july which is right around eddie's birthday so i think it was like days before your birthday mm-hmm. yeah. we we both me eddie and the lawyer We all had to go down to the USCIS building in Milwaukee um, and have this interview. And again, all of a sudden I was sitting in the room, I saw a female adjudicator came out um, and my heart sank. And I kind of wanted to yell to Eddie and the lawyer, like, stop, don't pull out the application. But the lawyer that we had actually hired, she said, no, it's fine. You know, I've had both of those two ladies. Like I've never had an issue, but so we're in in this interview. um, That's July, 2016. And that's when we were told that we should hear back a decision by August, September, sort of. thing. Like it shouldn't, there should be a decision within 60 days, basically.
1: Honestly, these things usually only take a
0: few weeks. So we should have heard back within 60 days. We didn't. So then that's when the process of our lawyers submitting these requests of, hey, what's the status? What's the update? And that went all the way through December 2016 after the election. And so we finally were then eligible to go there and physically in person. And after we went there physically in person days before New Year's Eve, it was like six or seven days later on January 4th or 6th, 2017. And Eddie and I are literally on vacation in San Francisco, um, visiting my grandparents, um, having fun time in, in Reno and Truckee, uh, Lake Tahoe, and then San Francisco, Um, And literally one day I kind of wake up and I check my email and I see that USCIS has denied our application, Eddie's application on the grounds of the false claim of U.S. citizenship. And our trip had already been going pretty poorly because of weather and delays and things like that. But that was truly the cherry on top because I realized that that meant he had this lifetime bar on him and that there was nothing that he, I, lawyers, Senate, anybody could do to change this. That this was the one thing that all the lawyers we had talked with were like, this is the black kiss of death. And I kind of had to sit on it because I knew that if I told Eddie in the middle of our vacation to San Francisco, one of my favorite cities in the world, and you know I was so excited for him to go to that this would also destroy his vacation as well. So I sat on that news for two days and was just a complete bitch to him because I was so upset. Um, you know, so it was a horrible vacation. Uh, but then when we got back home, I also, it, I made sure that I watched the mailbox because I didn't want him to get the letter before I had the opportunity to tell him. So then I had to tell him essentially the day after we got back. And, you know, it was absolutely devastating for both of us. Um, he understood why I didn't tell him in San Francisco. Uh, and I think he appreciated that because it, it would have it did destroy us. You know, because it was very much. I mean, we were told that Eddie's case was a great area that, yes, there he may not be able to prove that he didn't claim U.S. citizenship, but he was also 14 at the time. Like he was a minor. He doesn't have the capacity to know and make that that claim. And I found all, like, literally the manual that is given to adjudicators in USCIS. I've done all this investigation online, and lack of capacity is one of them. Um, So she, again, that's where that gray area kind of fell in, is that most reasonable adjudicators would not have found him ineligible because of that.
1: After the denial, they did a few things they started Eddie's DACA renewal paperwork. This was their lawyer's first denial, and she offered to do the DACA paperwork for free. They also talked to a lawyer in Chicago just to get some advice on what to do next.
0: He has you know, no paperwork from that time. He was 14, 15. He really didn't know what he was doing. And so that was the situation. But our lawyer, um, somewhere in the paperwork... She did put in there that he used a social security card and a birth certificate, which we have no proof of, we have no record of, we have no idea what he used. And the lawyer in Chicago even said, well, even if he did use that, you wouldn't put that in the doc. like you wouldn't volunteer that information if it wasn't requested, because this is a separate letter that she wrote again in eddie's interview which we have transcripts of uh, he never even talks about using a birth certificate or a social security card Um, but there is one piece of paper that our lawyer added as kind of an addendum that she says that a social security card and birth certificate were used so that's kind of the question of did that affect it did it did not we don't know I mean I've had I've had depression in my life. I've gone through some very serious dark times, but that 3 weeks was also right on par with severe deep depression. And so I think from that being in that stage and having been there before I was like, oh, I there, I have to make my own solution. And then that's when kind of after that 3 week period of like okay, well, US isn't an option. Where else are we going to go? We looked into Mexico first. That Mexico was the natural clear option that eddie is a citizen there i freaking love mexico i would love to live there um but then there were just all the issues of well can we afford it with still having to pay back u.s federal loans and tyler's medical issues and are they even gonna recognize gay marriage for immigration reasons for me um And just over and over, it just, it, Mexico wasn't going to work. Eddie doesn't want to go back there. Like he was not excited about going to Mexico um, as much as I was. So then it's like, okay, well, where else can we go? So then I started looking into New Zealand and kind of looking at their process. And they also have kind of a points-based system from what I remember. Then I have friends that work for the state department in Argentina. I've had other friends that have lived there. So really at this kind of stage, it is, what are our options? Like we, I don't know. I've all I've known is like Mexico, Central America and all places I'd love. But do I really want to spend the rest of my life in those countries? Yeah, that was a big question mark, too. You know, I I lived there before, but I don't know if I want to live there permanently. And then that's when one day it suddenly hit me like, well, what about Canada? I don't know anything about it. And I started looking into it, the immigration system um, and. The Canadian government, I really got to hand it to them. Everything that you need to know about Canada is all on one governmental website. It's all designed the same, it's all organized. Um, when you first go there, it looks kind of basic, but after you go there daily for several months, it's super intuitive to navigate um, compared to anything US that every different agency
1: has its own webpage. And anyway. But before Tyler tries to move us forward, I want you to know that while working on this episode, he sent me a bunch of his research and records. And let me tell you, Tyler has built his own Immigrating to Canada website. It's got links to places like the official website of the government of Canada that he mentioned earlier, the processing times of various forms, and information on sponsoring a spouse in Canada. But it's also got a section on LGBT life in Toronto another section on travel and tourism in Canada, and even a link to an article about the cheapest Canadian cell phone plans. This website is a very Tyler way of doing things. It's a look into his and Eddie's very specific circumstances in their immigration to Canada. It's tailored to a program that Eddie discovered on the government website that day.
0: Just kind of looking there, there was a program called what, what is called uh, Express Entry. I thought that sounded interesting and it's basically for federal skilled workers that if you have, you know, it's a point-based system. So based off your age, based off your education, your work experience, how much time you've spent in Canada, um, your knowledge of English and or French, you know, it's basically based off of points. The more points you get, um, that's when they would essentially send you an invitation to apply for permanent residency.
1: After Tyler was invited to apply for permanent residency in Canada, he had to go through a whole process of validating all of the various things he'd claimed in his application. This involved spending a good chunk of money, submitting proof of his English test scores, he and Eddie doing medical exams, and a bunch of other things. Once that was done, he could submit his final application.
0: And then kind of submit that process. And from the point that that was submitted, it only took about, it was less than... I think it was about 45 days for us to hear back uh, that we had been approved. So Canada's process was, while difficult, while stressful, it was leaps and bounds easier than the United States process. And while, again, I understand that you know we're coming from an undocumented point in the U.S. to trying to be documented in Canada, um, everything was submitted electronically online through a web portal. I never mailed anything until the final step of, mailing passport fo- photos. Um, that was the only thing we ever had to mail to Canada. Everything else was done electronically. Not the case in the US. Everything is done via USPS mail, snail mail. So um, it's just it was just an interesting process, but I would say enjoyable compared to the US. <laughs> it's not a word that I hear a lot about. Yeah, exactly.
1: When I spoke to Tyler and Eddie, Tyler had just returned from a trip to Canada to finalize the process. He is now officially a permanent resident of Canada.
0: I remember being in Nicaragua thinking, at some point in my future, I'm going to immigrate to another country. Um, I didn't think it would be forever, but I had this kind of goal that I want to live in another country for like five to ten years. Um, And so I kind of always had that goal since 2007. Um, And so while I didn't initially look at it this way or look at this that way um, of, Oh, Hey, I'm finally accomplishing that goal of becoming an immigrant. Um, When kind of all this stuff after I got the approval and after it kind of hit me that, Oh my God, I'm going to be a permanent resident of Canada of another country. um, It's something I'm actually extremely proud of and extremely excited for. So um, and to also be able to share that with Eddie, that for me to now look at him and say, we are going to be permanent residents in another country. It's no longer one of us is a citizen. One of the other one is being sponsored. Like we are both going through this process together in the exact same boats. And in three years, we're going to be applying for citizenship in Canada. Um, So we're, you know, already talking to him about this, that, all right, we got to study for this test. We got to, you know, go through all the steps for that, but it's something I'm actually really excited about that, you know, it's, I'm very frustrated and upset about why we got to this point. Um, but I'm also, you know, it, it's really, it feels like exactly what we should be doing. Um, and I'm proud to become a Canadian now that I, I, I listen to Canadian radio on Sirius XM. Uh, we've
2: TV shows,
0: TV shows. We've semi illegally, Acquired streaming progress from Canada I paid $2 a month to somebody But somehow we get Canadian channels uh, So You know it's it's. I think we've very slowly Tried to incorporate ourselves into the Canadian Culture and both try to Learn what it's like To be Canadian and as soon as something comes On TV that's talking about Toronto I'm yelling at Eddie from the other room Like get in here they're talking about Toronto hey. Yeah, <laughs> We say A a lot
1: Eddie, you talked about how um, Milwaukee has become home does this move to Canada feel like having to give up on um sort of like your second home um or is it more or do you have more of a sort of positive spin on it than that? Uh yeah, um
2: actually it is a really 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 big decision. Um I feel like yes, I'm leaving home.
0: Um He's a little emotional right now. Just give him a minute. Yes. um,
2: I get very attached to U.S. And I took, you know, like, respect the country and the law and everything. Even that when I came to the country, you know, I was a little child. Um, But... I feel like here's my life like i I learn everything about the culture and you know everything that if I was in, like I don't know that much about Mexico like Tyler maybe he being a Mexico to many states and I So I don't know anything about Mexico, but I know more about U.S. And um, here where I feel like, you know, friends are your family and the people that I work with, um, of course, I'm going to miss all of them. But I have to see my future, me and Tyler, if we stay here, you know, <clears throat> and the future can be difficult and we couldn't get her really bad. So if we make the change now and move to Canada, I feel like we can have a future there and stay together for the rest of our life.
1: Let's go to a question that is uh, maybe a little more clerical than uh, emotional. How about that? Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: clerical is my job.
1: Um,
0: as, I mean, so, kind of as you were talking about earlier, I mean, Eddie kind of brought this up, but we do complement each other well, where I handle everything clerical paperwork. Okay. <laughs> like I, I had to open bank accounts. And even just today, like I had to, I do all of that stuff. But when it comes to like, just even packing right now. We're in the middle of packing and I'm a complete pile of shit that I, I I can't even pack my my own boxes that I'm useless when it comes to it. As much as I try, like I just I panic and I don't know what to do. And Eddie helps calm me down and is able to kind of get me through those moments too. So um, again, more reason why we've just really like even if we didn't like each other, like we're able to <laughs> really get each other through hard moments because my hard moments are his strength and his hard moments are my strength. So it it really, it works out in that way, so.
1: It's not all about leaving home though. Eddie and Tyler are excited to make a new home in Toronto. What do y'all think your new life is gonna be like? Awesome. (laughs) I think it's gonna be good. Eddie owned his own business in hospitality for a while. And right now, he does the same kind of thing for a big hotel chain at one of their nicest properties in Milwaukee. Tyler tells me very proudly that Eddie's hotel ranked 10 out of like 450 during a surprise inspection, and that he was directly responsible for that. He's kind of a big deal at work right now, so he shouldn't have any trouble staying with his company in Toronto. And Tyler? Well, he might just get to stay on at UW-Milwaukee. It's not actually that far away from Toronto. He probably can't remain a SEVIS coordinator for a few reasons, but he's hopeful that they can work something out. And before we wrap up, let's remember why Eddie came to the United States in the first place. His mom came to Milwaukee to be treated for cancer. She's been back in Mexico for a while now, but
0: his mom is still sick. She is much better, but she has had cancer. She's still dealing with it. And that's one thing that's always really hurt me is that if something happens to his mom next week, tomorrow, you know, that he can't leave because he wants to go see her be with her. Um, And that's just always really hurt me (laughs) to know that he doesn't have that freedom to go see his mom who he may not have a chance to go see her again, which is why again, when you receive that denial, I was like, okay, well, if there's no options in the US, then we're looking elsewhere. And so more reason why we're more excited to go to Canada is that as soon as we get there, Right now we can go anywhere in the U.S. and have fun in the U.S., but we can't leave. And once we get to Canada, we can go anywhere in the world, including Mexico, and go do all these fun things, but we can't come back to the U.S. Um, so it's just a, you know, it, it's happy in one sense that he can go visit his mom, go visit his family. Um, if something does happen suddenly, he can leave work and go see her and be with his family if he needs to be, and then come back home to Canada if, if that's what needs
1: to happen. Tyler texted a couple of days ago. The big move is July 16th. Eddie's already making plans to visit his mom a week later. Status is produced by me, Matt Horton. Music was provided by Breakmaster Cylinder and Ben Mitchell. The Status theme song, which makes its return this week, is Bread and Circuses are Back by Ben Mitchell. I want to thank Tyler and Eddie so much for sharing their story. They're both just wonderful people. I think the day after the interview, I said, I interviewed the most amazing couple last night to every person who would listen to me. I haven't been able to stop telling their story to my friends. I just keep spoiling the podcast over and over. Thank you both so much. I really hope that you love your new home. Status is a member of the Podglomerate. You can hear all of the great Podglomerate shows at thepodglomerate.com. Status will return in two weeks with the final episode. I'd love if you'd be here to see us out.